I'm Todd Dills. This is Overdrive Radio. Before we get to a conversation with one truck owner operator and truck bites software creator, W. Joel Baker, an independent with his own authority, currently based in northern Indiana after a long time spent in Clarksville, Tennessee, I wanted to share a little more about the case of owner operator Tom Werner I wrote about last week, Thursday, May 10, on the Channel 19 blog. That's overdriveonline.com, channel 19. Werner, regular readers and listeners will know, was put out of service in Oregon after neglecting to go off-duty during a 10-hour break a few days prior to being expected, ultimately triggering what appeared in his E-Road ELD to be a violation of the cumulative 70 hours on duty and 8 days limitation. It was ultimately read that way by the inspecting officer, in spite of Werner's annotation of the log and clear location data that showed the truck immobile for that actually more than 10-hour off-duty period. Yet, the violation was probably avoidable had Werner taken the time to edit the log before he made his annotation to reflect the reality of what happened. Several commenters noted as such, though the electronic environment for logs locks down drive time and automates its logging, everything else remains just as editable as ever. Correcting the log, then annotating the correction with a remark, might well be the best strategy toward avoiding this kind of violation. Ultimately, I'll circle back with Werner on his case to see whether challenge efforts bore fruit. In the meantime, Joel Baker, when we talked for this podcast, noted he'd read the account of Werner's out-of-service violation and worried that such practice at roadside might ultimately be the new normal, no matter that location data backed up Werner's remark that he'd made an honest mistake not logging off-duty for a sleeper period. If so... As I have speculated before, we might well expect more hours violations, not fewer, with the ELD mandate in play. More serious looking violations too, given the so-called form and manner hours violations of the paper logging environment essentially disappear with ELDs, or at least most officers and industry watchers seem to think so in the run-up to the mandate. It seems to me though that if there's a case to be made for a non-serious form and manner violation in the ELD environment, Werner's error is evidence for that case. Location data backing up his off-duty claim in annotations, he wasn't truthfully on duty in excess of his 70 hours and 8 days limits. His log just said he was, because he logged it incorrectly. He showed a violation in his ELD, but there really was no fundamental violation. And yet, Werner was put out of service for that violation. Something to think about. Now to this week's conversation with W. Joel Baker, whose recent blog post about business opportunity, rate improvement, and other conditions since the ELD mandate caught my eye lately. Baker trucks in an ELD-exempt 1999 International, it should be clear, and he's had difficulty keeping up with customers' demand for RV delivery lately where he operates. That's given the double whammy of an improved economy and the availability constraints that have resulted from the mandate. He was writing on his own LearnToTruck.com website about it all, and here added thoughts on operational adjustments those who actually have to utilize ELDs might be able to make to enhance profitability as best they can. His own incidents of inspection in the run-up of the mandate, given the target his older truck has newly put on his back, as he says it, and much more. He starts here with a brief narrative of his own history in trucking, which dates back to an MO in the military driving trucks in the early mid-1980s. Yeah, in 1983, when uh, I first went into the Army, I started uh, driving then, and uh, I was in a, what we call it, a five-ton, but I pulled around an air compressor, and that's how I actually started doing combination equipment. 
and uh, I, I uh, migrated quickly into hauling heavy equipment, uh, dozers, graders, bucket loaders, earth movers, and that kind of thing. And so that's where I first cut my teeth in, in uh, combination equipment. And uh, when I left military service in 1992, I began driving over the road, and I uh, got the opportunity uh, from a gentleman named Bob Toberman with Texas Star Express, who at that time was a uh, subsidiary of the Epps Corporation. And uh, so I've always been grateful to them for the opportunity that they gave me. Um, I got into a whole bunch of different uh, industries to support. I did dry van. Uh, I've done some uh, dry bulk and pneumatic. I've done a little bit of tanker work. Uh, but the overwhelming majority originally um, that I got into and started my own uh, company with was the reefer industry. Um, I still enjoy it, although I'm not doing it now. But the reefer industry um, is, is what really launched me into my career of having my, my own uh, authority. And that, of course, is uh, when we met as well as when I was running a reefer. And um, I uh, needed some software. I bought some tons of software. None of it worked. And uh, I went ahead and developed something called Truck Bites. And uh, that's right. when you and I actually met. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. It was, began in 2004. Um, and then about five to six years ago, a friend of mine encouraged me to finally try to get into this RV industry. And uh, he said I'd enjoy it more than reefer work. And uh, so I went ahead and I bought a, a custom made trailer and uh, I started hauling campers going out and vehicles coming back. And, and I thoroughly enjoy the work. Oh, OK, well, what's the trailer uh, is it a platform type trailer? It is. Uh, we call them wedge trailers. They they look similar oh, okay. to a a uh, a step deck. It's kind of like a modified between a step deck and a and a uh, and a uh, car hauler, but not with two decks. Yeah, I, I did uh, own multiple trailers, and I bounced back and forth for a while with uh, a van, a reefer, and a step deck, and this. But eventually, I let all, right. all the extra equipment go because this was this was so good for me. Very good. And you're and you're uh, you're you're based up in Clarksville, Tennessee, right? I have moved north to Indiana since I got into the RV industry. It made more sense to be closer to uh, where the bulk of the manufacturing is happening. And so I live just outside of South Bend, Indiana now. I was also interested in, uh, you mentioned uh, your, your truck bike software and, and kind of, uh, it, it's basic business software, right? And um, I believe uh, it, it, it has a, a free module that uh, is it reporting primarily, right? It, it, it is the, the the free module, if you will, or or free registration as we call it, allows users to do everything accounting they need to do to run their business, okay. their income, their expenses, and it also allows them to complete their trip reports. That way, they're FMCSA compliant and IFA compliant, and uh, we do that. And I enjoy doing it. Um, I, I help them get started, and and if if that's all they ever need. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to provide it. Um, we have some sponsors and advertisers that, that help make that happen so that we can continue to do that for drivers. I remember well when I first started with my own authority, there was simply nobody out there that was willing to stick out their hand and say, let me help without sticking out their other hand and asking for money at the same time. And so it's something that I'm dedicated to continue doing, which is why I also started the, the other website called LearnToTruck.com. I, I right. truly enjoy answering drivers' questions and helping them, especially sharing all my mistakes, and hopefully they don't have to repeat the ones that I made. Yeah, and that, that's a good uh, good segue there. I was going to get to that. Uh, you have a series of, you know, occasional series, it looks like, of um, blog posts about particular topics. And 
you'd wrote, you'd written me about uh, one of your latest here. It's uh, it's basically um, talking about the conditions uh, in trucking right now as a result, of, I think, of the ELD mandate. Give give me a little bit of a synopsis on that, and uh, you know, and and, sure. and put it in put it in context of your business. You know, I know sure. we've seen a lot of improvements in rates um, in in the last several years due to the kind of a kind of a some new limitations in a certain way on uh, on on uh, available hours and uh, right right, you know, right. And around in a roundabout way and then you see a lot of guys just kind of taking the opportunity to get out of the business and, and it's put, put a lot of pressure upward pressure on rates I think that 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 is a big segment of it right there and you're spot on there is no doubt the ELD mandate has increase the pressure on the market for truck availability the the reality is this economy has begun to really move forward in a positive way and it's been happening over about the last year to a year and a half and in that exact same time period the eld mandate went into enforcement and those two parallels have just opened up the possibilities wide not only has there been a demand just for trucks simply by the economy, but with the ELD mandate, I have talked to and met several drivers who have gotten out of the business simply because they can't do the ELD mandate. And I sympathize with them. I don't support the ELD mandate. I think it is unsafe. It doesn't make the industry more safe. That aside, what it has created is a very large vacuum of truck availability for a huge increase in recent freight activity. And that is definitely driving the rates. In my own personal operation, what I do with campers going out, I have kept my rates solid, but the trade-off for me has been more work than I could ever possibly handle. My customers that I have for my RVs are just literally begging me, how much faster can you get them done? Because all the other carriers are losing all of their drivers and they don't have the truck availability to get these RVs to industry, to to the marketplace. So the industry is really, really, really already suffering significantly. Then when I turn around and haul my vehicles coming back, I do either direct with dealerships or I do do some broker freight. No matter which it is, the car rates on these individual vehicles that I pick up they have already jumped about 60% to 100% in a very short huh. period of time. And the, the other positive to it is the very moment there is difficulty with a customer with vehicle availability, getting it loaded or unloaded or any change in schedule of any kind, they are immediately addressing the issue with compensation to the truck owner because they realize that any additional time is money and they're going to have to compensate the driver or the carrier. Otherwise, they risk losing that vehicle, that truck, and they're going to have to find another carrier, which isn't very easy to do these days. A fringe benefit, I suppose, of uh, of the ELD mandate here, right? You know, <laughs> that it, uh, it you get some, you're finally getting some cooperation with your uh, from your customers when it comes to loading and unloading. That, that 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 is it right there. It really is. Now, in all candor, though, for me, it is a benefit because I have a 1999 model year truck with a 1999 right. model year engine. So I am exempt. It is 
it is the, the, the best of both worlds for myself. For individuals that I know who have ELDs, it's not the best of the, both worlds. Now, there are right. some who are learning to adjust and take advantage of the rates. However, they still have to modify how they operate because with the 14-hour rule and the ELD combination, it's just absolutely deadly for over-the-road drivers as far as profitability. What do you do there? I mean, that, that's that's one of the essential questions I had. I mean, I know after reading your, your story, I mean, essentially the takeaway you get from reading that story is that, uh, you know, if you want the, if you want the best of both, if you want, if you want to, to really take advantage of all of this, uh, get yourself an exempt truck or, or engine and, and roll and, and, and go about do, doing things, uh, as you've done them, uh, in the past. But, uh, if you, if you don't, if you can't do that, uh, you, you've invested in newer equipment. You know, what, what, what do you do? What kind of operational uh, changes can you make? That, uh, sure, sure. Well, I'll go out. back to my, yeah, I'll go back to my reefer days and, and um, some examples that I've given others is if, if you used to run the Midwest to California and you were up against your 70 hours, but of course you were able to log it under the old system, but now you can't because of the ELD. Well, you have to adjust which direction you're going to run then. In other words, if you're running California because you're doing your produce coming back out and you no longer can, then maybe from the Midwest, you look at running the Texas Valley. There's tons of produce down there. So you adjust which lanes you're choosing to operate in. That way you stay in compliance with your 70 hours, even though you're on an ELD and make it back to be able to reload and make that turn every week. So basically what, what you're doing is the trade-off is you're not going to have the maximum profitability that you used to have as far as your gross profits, but you might be pretty darn close in your net profit based yeah. on the rate increases that we're experiencing with the, um, with the, with the pressure on the trucking industry for non-availability of trucks. Since the LD mandate came into play, has anything, you know, changed uh, significantly for you in terms of the, the, the runs that you're making and the areas that you're covering? Absolutely. Or is it, uh, pretty Absolutely. Much no, there, there have been a lot of changes, even for myself. Number one, I've noticed that I've became a target. Since my truck is a 1999, I had a 11-month stretch where I received nine DOT inspections, nine of them. Wow. And, and I believe that that's going to continue. So I've changed my routing to where I am not running on roads that are restricted from commercial vehicles, but I do operate on routes that have the fewest or, or the, the least opportunity to have to cross scales. I'll, I'll eliminate scales if I can. That isn't necessarily always beneficial because when you're, when you're on those alternate routes or secondary routes, you know, the DOT officers aren't stupid either. They realize you're out there for a reason and you're subject to being uh, done on a roadside inspection instead of done in scales. But I've also right. noticed that parking has become even a bigger issue. And that's the other reason that I like taking the alternate routes or the secondary routes, because along the interstates, it is very difficult in your truck stops or rest areas to find somewhere to park after sometimes as early as 5 p.m., 6 p.m., in the evening time, right. they're, they're just flat running out of parking spots. And I've noticed a lot more safety violations, what I would call them. Drivers are not slowing down in construction zones as much as they used to. 
I see a lot more tailgating. I've personally witnessed a couple of different drivers that are passing in no passing zone on two lane highways. And, and I just, I, I don't understand the premise that the ELD is making the highway safer when, when it's pretty apparent that it's having the opposite effect already. It's that kind of pressure of the of the the hourglass uh, dropping down to zero, right? A- absolutely, yeah. because if if you run up on your fourteen hour clock as early as a, a Thursday, maybe even a Wednesday in the middle of the week, you may or may not get an appointment on a Monday. So the reality is, is for the driver and the truck owner, they could have lost upwards of a week worth of income if they miss a simple appointment because of a 14 hour clock, it's, it's just difficult for a driver who has children at home to say, I'm going to slow down, I'm going to park and I'm going to reschedule and I'll wait for another week. It, it's just, right. it, you know, when you have children to feed, to clothe and to shelter, you know, you're going to put yourself at risk more often than, than you're going to neglect your, your duties to your children. And that's what I see right. happening. Nine inspections in an eleven month uh uh time yes. frame and that's that's up to the present day i imagine uh what what states uh are there any particular states that uh, that you're running through no, that are, that they, are, that are seeming were, to kind of everybody yeah yeah yeah, it was all over um actually um that eleven month span ended around august i wanna say of last year, sure. and that's okay. when I really changed my routes. And that's okay. when I started getting away from the inspections. But uh, I was inspected twice in Montana, once in Kansas, once in Iowa, once in South Carolina, once in Florida, and I'm missing I'm missing a few in there. But but uh, yeah, there there was and, and they were so random. Uh, South Carolina was on the side of the road. Uh, Kansas was on the side of the interstate. Florida was the side of the interstate. Montana was a set of scales um, twice in the scales. Iowa was in yeah. the scales. So, so it, it's it, it wasn't. Uh, and this is leading. This is leading up into the mandate. This is before it even uh, before before the, the, the compliance before deadline the of the mandate. Cor- yeah. Correct. It was before enforcement was yeah. scheduled to begin, but it was after the announcement that it was going to begin. And once that announcement was made, that's when my inspections all began, and they were just relentless. In years past, I mean, how how many inspections was it common for you to have in a year, in an active year? Oh, fewer than one a year. My my average was fewer than one a year. And and I've always had uh, wonderful inspections. I've always had, since the implementation of CSA, an excellent score prior to CSA, I still had really good inspections. So... So you know, I never really came up on on anybody's hit list, so to speak. All the all these inspections that you had uh, this past year, did they go particularly? Did they go okay, or did, did you have any any particular yeah. violations that arose from them? I had one violation because of an error on my part, not understanding the um, provisional, you know, allowing you the the small split sleeper berth, and I had oh, about yeah, okay. a thirty. Uh, I had about a thirty minute error. In in my math, and for that, I uh, I was put out of service for two hours, but that was the okay. only one out of out of nine. That's pretty that's pretty good record there. <laughs> yep, and and that well, one that I did receive was because I was attempting to use the provisional 
in Montana because there was a storm coming in into the Missoula area, and I was trying to get through the pass prior to that snow coming in because hauling campers, I'm extremely lightweight, and even if you put chains on, it's still very difficult going over some of those passes. So I was attempting to use the provisional to to beat the storm, so to speak, and and uh, my own error is is what caused yeah. me that. It's curious. It sound it does sound like. Uh, you know, from your perspective, it's uh, that not, that older truck is really uh, putting a big target on your on your back uh, here in the CLD. The electronic I, I age, as it were. Yeah, I can't figure in why it would be. Well, I, have you heard that from others that are running older trucks? I have. In fact, just today I spoke to a gentleman uh, here in Iowa, where I happen to be at, getting ready to unload. And uh, he told me that uh, a friend of his and himself have both had the exact same problem. They both haul livestock, and both of their trucks are pre, uh, pre-2000 pre as well. And they have had the exact same challenges. Has anything changed about truck bites in recent years? Well, we've got some more advertisers and sponsors, and that's okay. really helped us to make sure we can continue giving away the free registrations as, as we want yeah. to do. Because I really believe in that. It, it, it's something that I truly enjoy, being able to help others get started and get going. Um, you know, my own personal story, if you don't recall it, the first week of owning my, uh, my first truck, the rear end went out, and I was over $10,000 going backwards in my very first week. And there right. was, I had no, no one to reach out to, to contact, to talk to or to, to give me guidance or assistance in any way. And and so that's always had an impression on me to be willing to talk to anyone that I can to answer questions. I don't have all the answers and I'll never pretend to. If someone were to try to talk to me about uh, transporting livestock, for example, th- then I'd simply have to, to bow out and, and you know give them Sure. The best advice that I could of finding a local carrier to lease to to gain some experience in the industry. Um, but that said, when it comes to to locating customers, to understanding fuel surcharges and fuel taxes, if the fuel taxes, when it comes to understanding how to determine your bottom line, um, I, I enjoy, thoroughly enjoy answering drivers' questions about that. One of my bigger pet peeves is that there are some out there who promote that a driver has to know his bottom line per mile and to maintain a certain per mile profitability. And right. to me, that is, is, is misses the point of whether or not you're net profitable or not. In other words, one of the best examples I love giving is, is I told a gentleman not too long ago about a load that I hauled one time that paid over $30 a mile. Well, he didn't believe me. And then I explained to him, I only took it about 200 miles. And that changes the whole conversation. And, and so you have to understand that it's not only about how much per mile, it's about how much for your time and how much for your, your, um, your net profit will be after your expenses. I mean, if you load something to take it across the street and it pays you $1,000, but you put it in your trailer, today and you don't deliver it for 60 days was that profitable even though you made for all practical purposes a thousand dollars a mile no it's not not by the time you count out all your expenses i've had lots of conversations about this kind of um just the kind of the the, the calculations that 
that go on as uh, you know owner operators are kind of assessing loads and, and assessing their their own performance um, uh, from a you know from a net income perspective and and it does seem that uh, you know, even the ELD mandate has also kind of thrown the the whole the whole notion of uh, you know compensation or, or income as a, as a unit of time uh, kind of put that that's thrown right. that into the foreground. And uh, more than, see, uh, more, more, than ever. more people right. thinking about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. More than more than ever, drivers, new truck owners especially, they have to look at time first over mileage because time is your most valuable commodity. And if you don't understand the 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 value of your time and your expenses during that time period, you're never going to find out if you're profitable. Oh, on the on the Learn to Truck website, um, are there are there particular resources that folks can take advantage of oh, uh, that that, yeah, uh, uh, that you want to want to talk about a little bit? Absolutely, I would encourage everybody. Please check it out, and there are lots of articles in there for everything about uh, specking out a truck as far as what to to look for for your own operation. There's stuff in there about business of how to uh, uh, negotiate a contract, how to find your own customers so you're, you can get away from brokers a little bit. And there, there is a way there just to send me a message. If there's something in there or something that's not in there that you want to know more about, please send me a message. If I know something about it or had some experience, I'll be glad to share. I'm actually working on an article right now for oil bypass filters. I've had two, and, and one of them was a really bad experience, and so I'm going back to my original, so I'm getting ready to publish that. Um, so once I've got that out there, that'll be available. Um, but there's, there's other little things out there or on, that, on Learn to Truck. Um, I talk about for um, veterans, uh, people who are getting out of the military, how they can use their military experience to get a CDL without having to go through as much expense as a civilian does. Um, so there's there's a quite a variety of information there. Well, and questions, uh, you definitely wel- definitely welcome those, right? <laughs> always, always welcome them, yep. and and uh, you know I do my very best. I answer them with integrity. If I don't have the answers or any experience with it, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lead someone astray. You find uh, all that and Joel Baker at LearnToTruck.com variety of resources for new and or established owner-operator businesses are there. His Truck Bytes, that's Truck B-Y-T-E Bytes, the Truck Bytes free accounting software you can find via truckbytes.com. And to close it out, here's Baker talking about his 1999 International, which he notes is most definitely not for sale as long as the age of, of mandated electronic logs continues. And as I've told many people over the last several months, I don't care if I have to rebuild it from the frame rails up. I will not get rid of this truck as long as we have the ELD mandate. Search Joel Baker at OverdriveOnline.com for a few pictures of it loaded in his RV delivery operation. Stay safe out there.